you know, we started the, the seminar off with uh, Chance Unger talking about the, the Father's love. So we're just going to review a little bit. And then from the Father's love, we went to Thomas Lolly, who talked about intentional discipleship. You know, it's not merely enough for us to live the faith or teach the faith. We have to teach others how to teach the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 2, as you've seen and heard from me and trust to others who can teach as well. Um, and then we had the privilege of having Vern Steiner come here talk about uh, the charisms, what they actually are, and get into the specific details. And then Blake gave a great talk on the discernment of your gifts. Um, so I trust that all of you guys have actually taken the discernment assessment and you're ready to put it into practice after tonight. And then, like I said, last night we talked, uh, last week Joy talked about the complementary of the gifts and how they all work together. They're not something just solely specific, how they work together within us, but then how they work together in the church. So tonight we're going to talk about the gifts on missions. But before we actually dive into this, let's start with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Good and gracious Father, you sent your Son into the world as a mission of love for us. And as he ascended back to you, he did not leave us orphans, but he gave us the power of your love, which is the Holy Spirit. We ask that you guide our discussion tonight so that we may understand this gift of love and that we use these gifts to build your kingdom abide in you. As we say together, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Um, what I want to do, some of you have seen this, is give you a little bit of preview. Uh, you know, when we talk about mission, 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 I can sit up here and talk to you a lot about the different missions. But I thought it would actually be better to show examples of the Old Testament and their missions. And so here's a little, a little foretaste. We're looking at possibly doing some new designs of the church. And one of the designs in the Upper Clear story, we're going to have 12 people from the Old Testament and then the 12 apostles on the right. There's exactly 12 different spots. So I thought, well, why don't we actually do salvation history, walk through the Old Testament, show you this figure, and talk about what was their mission, what were their gifts to accompany them on the mission, what was their failure, and what was the results. Okay? You all know who this is? <laughs> okay, what was Adam and Eve's mission? Their mission was twofold. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, so their mission of fertility. Let me see. Okay. Their mission of fertility and the mission to have uh, dominance over the whole earth. They were supposed to have dominion over all of creation. What were their gifts? Well, in some ways, because it was before the fall, they had all the gifts. Now, in an other way, theologically speaking, we're going to talk about the charisms or the gifts, but the Holy Spirit really hadn't processed from the Father and the Son until Pentecost. So what these gifts, we would say on a theological term, would be foreshadowing gifts of the charisms. Okay? So a lot of these gifts are given to um, the people in the Old Testament 
in order to fulfill the mission. So they are gifts from God, um, but it's different in a way, or it's, I should say a, a foreshadowing or a prototype of the charisms of the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. Okay, so they would ha- actually have all that they would need, but what was their failure? They failed to protect. They failed to, gu- they failed to protect the garden. And so what was the consequence of their failure? Well, all hell broke loose. <laughs> Literally, right? All hell broke loose. And so what's interesting, that when we fail in our mission, it's really where we are struck by the evil one, and that becomes the, the consequence of our failure. So their failure was fertility and dominion. What was the consequence of original sin? Childbirth and sweat from labor. Okay? So it's striking at their mission what they failed to do. You want to know who this guy is? It's a guy who's got a big old boot. I spent four years in Fargo, so boot. Okay, so Noah, right? What was Noah's mission? He was to save humanity through what? Through his family. Okay, He was supposed to save humanity through his family. God had kind of been upset with the rest of the world. He's going to destroy all the world, but he's going to save one family. And so his love between his wife and his kids and their love of each other was supposed to save humanity. And so what was his gifts? Well, it says that Noah walked with God. So he had the gift of contemplation. His name literally means one who rests with God. And then obviously he had to have the gift of building. <laughs> You've got to build something like that. You have to have some kind of gift. But what was Noah's failure? Remember, the flood secedes, they get dry land, and what do they do? They have one big party, and Noah gets drunk, okay? And so, and because of his drunkenness, his son Canaan did something inappropriate. And so because of that, his son was cursed. So even though he was supposed to save humanity through his family, one of his family members didn't actually fulfill that promise. And so when we look at even like our mission, we say we're supposed to be called to go on mission, oftentimes the most difficult people to go on mission with is your family. Maybe you have a son, a daughter, you know, a brother, someone who's actually left the church. And so that mission might be to go after them. And I think that was, we'll talk about these reflection um, stories here in a minute. Um, Okay. Who's this guy? Abraham. Abraham. So Abraham, right? God says, look up at the stars. Of course, we know that Abraham is looking up at the stars in the middle of the day. So you can't really see the stars. So we call Abraham the father of what? He's our father of faith. And so his mission was to leave his land and go west. Okay? So he leaves his land in order to establish a tribe. So you go from a family to a tribe, a larger. And so he had the gifts of faith. He also had the gift of hospitality. Remember the story in Genesis where he takes the three men and invites them into his tent and he cooks a meal for them? Well, some speculate these three men, this is actual foreshadowing of the Trinity. Um, They say there could be three angels and so forth, but he had the gift of hospitality. And then remember the readings from Sunday, first reading, 
God wants to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. What's Abraham do? He's got the gift of intercession. He keeps going back to God. Well, what if there's 100? Okay, well, maybe not. Well, what if there's 50? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? Okay, so he's an intercessor. He's pleading on behalf of humanity to save them. But his failure, though, what was his failure? His mission, because he's called the father of faith, his failure was he lacked faith. God said that you're going to have a, a children, many offspring from, Hagar, from Sarah, but instead of waiting for that promise, he takes Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and he starts having multiple kids with her. And so his failure was that he lacked faith. He also lacked faith. Remember, he goes to the king, Abimelech, and he's like, okay, my wife is really beautiful, so he's going to kill me to take her, so I'm going to just tell him that's my sister, okay? So he lacked faith that God was going to save him. But even though he lacked faith, he's still considered the father of faith, and because he said yes, the results were that God gave the threefold covenant that was going to come through Abraham, that I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make your name great, and the worldwide blessing is going to come through you. Okay? And we'll see that finally fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Stop me if I'm going too fast. All right. Oh. Oh. Okay. This is not a fireman who likes to climb ladders. <laughs> okay, Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But Jacob has a mission, and his mission is to wrestle. Okay? Jacob is constantly, his whole life he's wrestling. Like, he was wrestling in the womb with Esau, right? He wrestles with an angel. Some say he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with his own conscience if he did the right thing. So his mission is to wrestle with God, to, to struggle. Anytime you ever go on a mission, you're called to actually do something, you're like, I'm really struggling in this mission right now. But through that struggle, he has perseverance, and God blesses him. And so he struggles. He struggles in his relationship with his brother. He struggles in his relationship with his wives. And so God had given him several gifts in order to accompany him on this mission. One, he was, he was prudent. You know, the Lord said, be cunning as serpents or prudent. I mean, he was so prudent that he was able to trick his own dad to think that it was his brother. Okay? He's a deceiver. Jacob's name literally means one who deceives. But he's also, he does it in order to be prudent. He also has the gift of dreams. You know, this is a gift of the charism. Sometimes you have dreams that come fulfilled. So he has this dream of this ladder and the angels going up and down. Well, the church fathers saw the ladder as a foreshadowing of the cross. And at every sacrifice of the mass, you have angels going up and down. Lord, take this sacrifice by your angel to the kingdom of heaven, we say at mass. And so he also had... Um, the gift of um, persistence. How many years did he work for his beautiful bride, Rachel? He, he worked for her for seven years. And then he gets a little drunk on his wedding night. And this is a problem here, right? And then, <laughs> then he, gets, he gets the older daughter. Yeah. 
I mean, who would, I mean, if you, if you work for seven years and you see this beautiful woman, you've got the image of her in your mind, and then your wedding night, you actually take the wrong woman. I mean, he must have been pretty drunk, right? <laughs> but he wakes up in the morning and he's shocked. He's got Leah and he likes Rachel. And so he says, I tell you what, Laban, I'll work another seven years for, for Rachel. He worked for 14 years for the woman he loved. He's got the gift of persistence. And the scripture says, and the years were like days to him. You know, when we are given the gift of persistence, no matter what we're going through, and it seems like a long time, um, that gift of persistence allows us to be like, okay, we see everything from an eternal perspective. And so he got the reward. He got his beautiful bride. But his failure was, is his family feuds. You know, he had his feud with his brother. Um, his sons eventually started feuding. And then even his two wives, okay? You're married to two wives, and they're going back and forth. You can have more kids, right? I mean, that's going to be a little problem in the home. And so his failure was he could not bring peace in his own family. And as a result, his family had to leave the land of peace. Jerusalem city of peace. He left the promised land, and his family had to go and settle in Egypt. And we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. But fortunately, God had called another person to step up on a mission. And Moses' mission was to lead the one nation under God out of slavery. What kind of gifts did Moses exuberate? Well, he had the gift of justice. Remember, he saw the Egyptian killing the Hebrew and then so he killed the Egyptian. And then he saw these two Hebrews fighting, and he couldn't understand. Why are you guys fighting? Aren't you the same kin? He also had the gift of intercession. You know, he would speak on behalf of the people um, when he was at Mount Sinai. He would speak to God on their behalf. So he was an intercessor as well. When the Hebrew people were going into battle against the Egyptians, what was Moses doing? Was he on the front lines of the battle? No. He was there with his hands raised up. And it says when his hands were raised, they were winning the battle. He is a model of intercessory prayer. And some people I know here have this gift. And the battle is only won today by your presence of, in front of the blessed sacrament of using that gift of intercessory prayer. He also had the ability to lead. You know, he was called to lead people out of Egypt. But what was his first response? Can I remember this? Well, I can't, I can't leave him. I can't even speak. He said, I'm slow of tongue and speech. Well, God does not call you because of your natural gifts. God oftentimes gives you the gifts that you need in order to lead people. And for him, you know, it was actually just reiterating what God told him. Well, that's easy. Or having Aaron speak on his behalf. And then one of the great gifts he had was his meekness. The book of Numbers says that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. But here's the irony in that, right? What's Jesus say in um, the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. So even though he's the meekest man, he never got to the promised land. So what was his failure? He was called to lead them into the promised land, but he sent the 12 spies out and they're like, we can't actually do this, Moses. It's, they're too big. They're giants. We're like mere grasshoppers. And so what's he do? He takes the advice of the majority. 
I mean, isn't that what our problem with the culture is today? Sometimes, well, the majority of people say this, so that must be true, right? Sometimes we take the advice of the majority and we actually don't go in and conquer the land. And so as a result, because of his lack of trust, his lack of courage, they're banished into the wilderness for 40 years. But even in the wilderness, he uses his gifts. What's he do? He intercedes on their behalf. They're grumbling. They're hungry. Well, let me go to God. God, they're hungry. Okay, I'll give you manna. Oh, they're thirsty. Okay, here's a rock. Strike it. Okay, here's water. He strikes it twice. Oop, no, you're only supposed to do it once, Moses. You know, you, you lack trust. So as a result, he did not get to go to the promised land. Here's our next mural, one of my favorites, Joshua, which literally means God saves. So he had the mission to lead the people into the promised land. You know, Joshua, if you read the book of Joshua, you see, like, this is one guy who had exemplified a lot of different gifts, that God had actually gave him the gift of courage. You know, they went into battle against in Jericho and Ai. I mean, these cities were enormous, but they were able to take down these cities because of God's grace. He had the gift of administration. I mean, someone had to set up the 12 tribes when they got in the Holy Land. Okay, you know, Ephraim... You take this land. Judah, you take the south. Uh, you know, Naphtali and Zebulun, you take up by Galilee. Dan, Asher, you take over by the Mediterranean. He had to have that gift of administration to figure out who was getting what land. And he also had the, the, really the gift of tenacity. He got things done. Um, and then he was also like Moses. He was a mediator. Um, he was a mediator between God and them because he told them to actually put away your idols um, but his one failure, if you could say that there was any failure of Joshua, eventually once they got into the promised land, they're like, well, we're kind of surrounded by a lot of different nations. We're going to be overtaken again. And so he looked for allies in the Gibeonites, which God said, no, no, trust in me. You don't need allies. Just trust in me. You'll be fine. But as a result, he was able to set up the promised land and he established the mosaic, mosaic law. Who do you think this is? Who's one of the female leaders? Deborah. Deborah, good. And what was her mission? She was a judge. Okay. And so we know after they set up the Holy Land, then you get to the period of the judges. So they're like, okay. Now we have to rule ourselves by some kind of law. So it'd be kind of like having, you know, the Supreme Court. Um, and so they realized that they were given the law from God, and they had to abide by it. But people were breaking it. So let's set up judges. But eventually you see this cycle. They sin. They fall. There's bad judges. Then God raises up a good judge. Deborah had the gifts, um, particularly as the gift of counsel, and she was an advisor. I mean, she remember, remember she, she was one that advised Barak about how to go into battle. And as a matter of fact, she went into battle with him. So she had the gift of courage. Um, she was also an arbitrator. You know, when there was disputes, she was able to settle them. In um, the book of Judges, we also see that she has the gift of poetry because the, there's the canticle of Deborah. If you read the, the scriptures, there's not much about her, so the less they write about you, the less you can actually point out any errors. So we don't actually see any failures of Deborah. 
But as a result of her leading in her mission, they were victorious over the Canaanite king, Jevon, which set them up good in order to have a kingdom. Who was the first king? It was Saul, right? And he wasn't a real good king. And then there's some little whippersnapper comes up, and his mission was to establish the kingdom. What was his gifts? Sometimes you, you see David with the, he had a harp. So he had the gift of, of musical. He had the gift of poetry. You know, the Psalms are attributed to David. So he was very intellectual, but he had this, these musical talents, um, the gift of poetry. He also was courageous. Remember, he goes up and says, who is this Philistine? You know, and here's this little whippersnapper boy, and his older brother's like, get back. You're just a little kid. And he's like, well, I'll go take care of him. And they're like, well, who are you? And he's like, well, you know, I actually, I, I fought a lion and I fought a bear with my own, my own single hands and I killed them. So I have enough history behind me that I can actually fight this, uh, this Goliath. And then so eventually he's anointed uh, by Samuel as the king. And so up until this time, he had all these gifts to lead him to this mission. Now, God had given him a new mission, and with the anointing of the king, he, had, he was given the gift of leadership. Okay. So he was able to lead his army into battle. He was able to govern. But what was his notorious sin? Yeah, Bathsheba. But what was his greatest sin? Was it that he murdered Uriah the Hittite, he committed adultery, had sex, had a child out of wedlock, tried, he got Uriah drunk? He sang, he sang for the front line. Yeah, I mean, so he, he did all that. You know, his greatest of sin was a sin of omission. Because it says in the scripture... When the time of year when the kings go out to battle with their military, David's on top of his roof taking a siesta. So it was his sin of sloth. And sin begets sin. And so because he was slothful, then he becomes curious. Oh, who's that over there? You know? Now, she's not completely innocent either. She, she knew that David was probably up there, and she's trying to entice him. I'm maybe reading into that. But... <laughs> But, you know, so his greatest sin was a sin of sloth. And because of a result of that, the scripture says that there will be an everlasting war in your kingdom. The sword will not depart from the tribe of Judah. Okay, so because he was, his mission was supposed to be out on the front lines to fight the war, and he didn't do that, as a consequence of his failure to go on mission, he actually, the failure is attacked into his mission, that he's going to have internal conflicts. And we're going to see this come up. Next, we have the guy in the fiery chariot going to heaven. This is Elijah, okay? So after David, we have a divided kingdom. And Elijah's mission was to call Israel back to true worship. Israel were the ten northern tribes that revolted. And they fell into pagan worships. And so he goes to actually call them back. So he has the gift of prophecy. Hey, you know, there's going to be a three-year drought. Okay. He also has this, the charism of supernatural food. 
which is interesting because it's a foretaste of the Eucharist. So remember, he goes to the widow and she doesn't have enough wheat and flour. Well, he has the ability to give her more wheat and flour. The, the charism of the Spirit is giving him this. He was fed by the ravens. And so he's constantly getting the supernatural food. It says sometimes he was even fed by angels. Okay. He has also the charism of miracles. Remember, he slaughters all the false prophets of Baal because they could not consume the fire. And he's sitting there taunting them. Well, maybe your God's asleep or far away fighting the battle. Maybe you need to call on him longer. And so he's like, then he calls down fire from heaven and it consumes the fire. And so because of that, they were able to kill the false prophets and get back to the true worship. But his failure, did he have any failures? Yeah, eventually Jezebel comes after him. And so he becomes scared. And where does he go? He goes to Mount Sinai. He goes to do a little retreat. He goes to hear the voice of God again. Okay, I, I fled from my mission. What do I need to do? And so the voice of God, where did it come? It wasn't in the thunder. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It was in the little whisper. And so Elijah knew that, okay, I'm called to go on mission, but I'm also called to retreat to hear the voice of God. What's my next mission? Okay. And the voice of God basically gave him the mission to, to call them back to true worship. But he also realized that his mission was to help establish his successor. 2 Timothy 2.2, right? What you've seen and heard from me, entrust the faithful people who can do the same as well. So he appoints Elisha to come up after him. And the church fathers point to this as Elijah has come in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. So Elijah goes off so that Elisha can actually increase in the mission. And so what we realize about this is the mission's not about us. The mission is about finding our replacement to carry on the tradition. Apostolic tradition keeps getting passed on. And so sometimes when we're gifted in our mission, we're like, yeah, this is, this is about me. This is my club. This is my organization. This is my church. It's about me. But that's when things fall apart. You guys remember um, who Lee Coco was? Okay. Um, I'm a car guy, right? So <laughs> Lee Coca actually came um, from Ford. He was, you've ever seen that movie, Ford versus Ferrari. Lee Coca did great work for Ford. But then... Daimler Chrysler, they're going down in the 80s. And they're like, let's bring in Lee Iacocca. So they hire Lee Iacocca. He brings Daimler Chrysler out of bankruptcy. They're doing good. They invent the minivan. <laughs> Still popular today. So, and so things are going good for Daimler Chrysler until Lee Iacocca leaves as the CEO and he retires. And then it plummeted within five years. Why? Because he was not, as John Maxwell says, a level five leader. Level five leaders know that they can replace themselves. And Jesus does that, right? Jesus, appoint, Jesus has a mission to save the world, but he appoints 12 apostles to go out and teach, to baptize. Okay, next. We have the prophet Isaiah. Tradition has it that it's not in the scriptures, but tradition has it that Isaiah was sawed in two. Okay, 
I could think of better ways to be martyred. <laughs> but his mission was to proclaim the fall of Israel. That Israel, if you do not repent, you will fall. And then he also chastised Judah. Okay? Isaiah has the gift of poetry. Um, he also has the gift of consoling. The book of Sirach says that Isaiah was able to console those um, who mourned. And he also had the gift of politics, like to, to give political advice to King Ahaz, not to ally with Judah or Assyria. But the failure wasn't really his failure. The failure was that Judah did not listen to him. So our mission is to go out and proclaim and do whatever God's calling us to do. We have a part to do, but then listeners have their part to do as well. And so Judah did not listen to him. They failed to repent, and as a result, they were conquered by the Babylonians. And, but the result of Isaiah actually points to something greater, even in the failure. So he, the, the prophet Isaiah, you know, in his, his work, his prophetic work, you know, he talks about the suffering servant. And some people say, well, that's Israel. They're going to be suffering because they're not following God. They're going to be conquered. But then the suffering servant, through that comes redemption and salvation, and then eventually restoration. But this prophecy, this gift of prophecy that he had was actually pointing to the true suffering servant, which was Jesus, who saved us and restored our life. You know, never seen that movie, One Night with a King? <clears throat> okay, One Night with a King is about Queen Esther. Okay, so now we're, we're in the Babylonian captivity, and we're in Persia, and her mission was to become the queen of Persia. Well, how could she do that? She wasn't Persian, but she had this gift, and I do say it's a, it's a gift. It's the preternatural gifts, the gift of beauty, that God has created women beautiful in order to have this control over a man in a way. And so she had this gift of controlling um, the king because of her beauty. And he's seen the beauty for what she was worth, that she was more beautiful than all the other women that he could have chosen. And so he chooses her, and then she uses her other gift. She has the gift of hospitality. Okay? She prepares a banquet for the king. And then her uncle, so who is Jewish, says, hey, they're going to kill me, and they're going to kill all of our people. You must go before the king. Her mission was, her primary mission was to also be an intercessor. If she didn't go before the king, her people would die. But she was like hesitant at first. She's like, well, who, I don't know if I can do this. It's not my time to actually go to him this month. You know, anyone who puts their foot into his court who's not invited there could be put to death. And so she goes in and she just walks right up to him and puts her hand on his staff. There's something I need to tell you. I mean, she deserved death because of it. Or she, by law, she, was, she would have been put to death. But he listened to her. And because he listened to her, um, her people were saved. I mean, isn't that what we do when we're called to be intercessors? When we go to adoration, we go before the king because someone that we know and love could possibly be dying, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And so as a result... 
her people were spared. The last period we get in the Old Testament is the Maccabean Revolt. So this is Judas Maccabeus, and his mission was to ensure the freedom of worship. So who were in control of who was in control of Israel at the time? It was the Greeks. And how did the Greeks turn their hearts of the Israelite people from worship? The first houses. What's that? Bathhouses. Bathhouses, exactly. And the, the book of Maccabees says they built gymnasiums. <laughs> they wanted to get their people involved in sports. And if you're involved in sports, you'll love this competition, and you'll forget about you actually have a duty to worship God on the Sabbath. Sound familiar? Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Okay. So Judas is like, okay, no, none of that. Um, so he has the gift of wisdom. We see that he, in order to rise up men to actually fight against the Greeks, I mean, he was outnumbered. He was out guns. They didn't have guns, but out speared, out armed. I mean, he, he was, he was, but he, he had the gift of wisdom to say, listen, you know what? If you've recently bought a home, we don't want you in battle. You're going to be too preoccupied with that. If you've recently been married, no, you don't need to come to war. If you're too afraid, you're not going to come to battle with us either. He had the gift of wisdom to actually choose the best men who are going to be courageous to fight in the battle. And so his name, Maccabees, literally means the hammer. Okay, There's something about like that, that nickname, the hammer. Um, I have a, a guy in my men's group, um, his nickname is the hammer. <laughs> Maybe for different reasons. But <laughs> uh, Charles Martel, okay, he was called the hammer because he stopped the Islamic invasion. So Anyone who's courageous is get the nickname um, Hammer. He also had the gift of teamwork. Okay, and I say this is a gift. Because he realized the mission wasn't just about him, but that he needed others. So he brings his five brothers with him, or the four other brothers. Okay. Um, but his failure was, at the end of his life, he was advised not to go into battle at Berea because they didn't think that they could actually win. And he's like, okay, let's go. doesn't matter. And he said, let's go, and I would rather die manfully and courageous than to flee from these people. And so what turned out to be his failure actually inspired other Jewish people to take up arms and to fight. Okay? So... They were able to, con to take back the temple from the Greeks and re-consecrate it, and that's where we get the menorah from, Hanukkah. Okay. So this is all pointing towards um, the mission of our Lord. Okay. Um, so I share you these stories, um, not just because they're fun and inspiring stories, but everyone in the Old Testament had a mission to prepare the way for the Lord. Okay. What was John the Baptist's mission? Prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah, right, his father, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go to prepare the way of the Lord. Is Jesus coming back again? Yep. 
I love the bumper sticker. Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> no, so Jesus is coming back again. And so we are called to actually prepare the way of the Lord. And so he has given each and every one of us a mission. Okay? So how do we, dis- how do we discover what that mission is? Um, there are five elements that make up what an apostle is. The first... God calls us, okay? When Jesus walked by Peter in the boat, he said, come, follow me. God calls us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's going to do through us. When Jesus calls Peter, he says, I think that you can be like me. Remember our Lord says, no disciple is greater than his master, but when fully trained, he becomes like his master. God calls us. And God calls us sometimes in the least expected times. I wasn't born with the Roman collar on. (laughs) Um, As a matter of fact, I wasn't called to be a priest until I was 28 years old. And it wasn't an adoration. It wasn't right before Mass or after Mass. It was after eating a big Indian buffet meal on a Sunday, (laughs) and I was taking a nap. And I literally felt the bed shake and God say, be my priest. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. And I, I look, there's no earthquakes in Fargo. So, but my first response is, Lord, you know what I've done? Right? Do you know I'm just a dumb farm kid? And I don't say that derogatory for any other farm people, but I grew up on a farm. I never learned how to speak until I was probably about six years old in first grade because I was yelling at cows. <laughs> I'm like, God, I can't be a public speaker. He's like, yeah, I know what you've done, but you know what I've done. It's not about you. It's about me. God calls us. The second thing is, is our response to the call. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. Okay? Our response. And the model of our response is Mary's. Right? Fiat. <laughs> May it be done to me according to your will. Then our third element of becoming an apostle is our solitude with Jesus, our life of prayer. Jesus calls these guys, they say yes, and he says, come away with me. We're going to go camping for three years. I'm going to take you. I want you to come, come away with me to a place of rest. So we come to adoration. The fourth is that he doesn't call us singularly oftentimes. He calls us into companionship. He sends them out two by two, the 70. He calls 12 apostles. And so most, or actually all of our missions are, are called to be in companionship. Because the reality is, Christianity is not just about my relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship. And that's why we have a church. We're in companionship with one another. And then the fifth thing is, he sends us out on a mission. Okay. And when he sends us out on mission, we are called to be ambassadors. Each and every one of us are called to be ambassadors in our own particular mission. An ambassador doesn't create the policies that he's bringing from his government. He doesn't write them. He basically just merely delivers them as is. And so that's what we are called to do. We are called to be ambassadors. Jesus, before he ascended, said, sent them all out. You know, go and teach all nations. Make disciples, baptize them. 
Okay, so three last points. Okay. The first is God hasn't given us gifts for our own pleasure. Okay. It's not about us. Um, I was terrified to sing in public. And then I realized, like, it must not, it was a grace of ordination. I mean, it was a charism that I'm like, oh, actually, I think I can do this, you know? And so <laughs> the gifts are not about us, but it's for building up his kingdom. You know, Edmund Burke, the British politician, once said, all for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. But that's so good. All for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. David was a good man. And because of his slothfulness, evil won. If we don't go on mission, if we don't take these gifts that we've discerned and use them to give glory to God and build his church, evil wins. The second point, Jesus calls us to bear fruit and to bear it abundantly. If you went to Mass today, there was the parable of the sower and the seeds. If you think of the Lord as the sower and the seed is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it must bear fruit. But in order to bear fruit, we have to make sure that our soil is properly prepared. Too oftentimes, the path is hard. You know, he says, when the path is hard, the soil or the seed falls on the path and the birds come down and eat it and steal it away. For me, I know in my life, it's because sometimes my heart has become hardened. My heart has become hardened. And when our hearts are hardened, the seed actually cannot germinate. The gifts will not actually come to fruition. The next is the rocky ground. Well, with the rocky ground, you know, the roots come a little bit, so the gifts start, we start seeing a little bit. Maybe we have the, the gift of healing, you start kind of doing a little bit. But then, oh, well, it doesn't actually sink in. We haven't had enough time to actually pray and participate in the sacraments to actually let the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisms, to actually take deeper root. Then we get the weeds. It's easy for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be choked out in today's world, right? I mean, we have so much fighting for our attention. It's just so simple and easy to get lost in the world that those gifts that God gives you are choked out. And then the gifts that, or the seed that falls on the rich soil will actually be the gifts of the Holy Spirit that will produce fruit. And then finally, um, we must be able to use our gifts here at St. Peter's. Um, I think there is... Oh, actually, we'll just read this up here. Um, would someone like to read 783? They can see it. Can you see that, Mitch? Sure. Jesus Christ is the one whom the Father anointed with the Holy Spirit and established as priest, prophet, and king. The whole people of God participate in these three offices of Christ and bears the responsibilities for mission and service that flow from them. Okay. So if our mission is to be another Christ in the world, we have to realize what was Christ's mission. He was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was a king. Okay. So on entering, um, the people of God through faith of baptism, one receives a share in the people's uniqueness, priestly vocation. So all of you by your baptism are called to be priests. Christ the Lord, high priest taken from a man, has made his new people a kingdom, a priest of God. The baptized by regeneration and anointed by the Holy Spirit are consecrated to be a spiritual house 
in a holy priesthood. Can I get a volunteer to read the next one? On entering the people of God through faith and baptism, one receives a share in this people's unique priestly vocation. Christ the Lord, high priest, taken from among men, has made this new people's kingdom of priests to God, his Father. The baptized by regeneration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit are consecrated to be a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. Thank you, Ted. The next, we're called to the prophetic office. The holy people of God shares also in Christ's prophetic office, above all in a supernatural sense of faith, that belongs to the whole people, lay and clergy, when unfailingly adheres to this faith, once for all, to the saints, and when it deepens understanding and becomes Christ's witnesses in the midst of the world. Okay. And then, finally, can you read that, Krista? Yes. Let's see. Finally, the people of God shares in the royal office of Christ. He exercises his kingship by drawing all men to himself through his death and resurrection. Christ, King, and Lord of the universe, made himself the servant of all, for he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Christian, to reign is to serve him, particularly when serving the poor and the suffering, in whom the church recognizes the image of her poor and suffering founder. The people of God fulfills its royal dignity by a life in keeping with its vocation to serve with Christ. Okay, thank you. Okay, so our mission collectively as a church, each and every one of us has a specific mission we have to discern, and you do that through the discernment of the gifts. But all of us have the mission to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples. Okay, and how are we going to do that? By participating in his ministry as priest, prophet, and king. Um, it became apparent to me, um, working at some other parishes or organizations within the church, um, the church is, is set up to have kind of a structure, but sometimes it's like so confusing. Well, who, who do we go to for that? Who, who, who's in charge of this or whatever? And so through discernment and prayer, and it was truly a, probably a gift of the Spirit, I'm like, well, we have to look at Christ's mission, and we have to model our mission after that. So let us set up our parish our organization, our offices, based upon his threefold mission. And so what that is, how it looks here, so we know who is actually kind of under different parts. So the priestly office, so those that are going to go on mission as a lector, a reader, or acolyte, if you're an altar boy, if you're a musician, all of this has to do with the sanctifying office. The prophetic office comes with the teaching, okay? The teaching office, things like RCIA, God Teens, CCD, our Catholic school, okay? We've got a great, great school here. We've got Legion of Mary, St. Vincent de Paul. These things are actually going out and teaching people the faith. And then we have the organization, those who are called to be stewards of the resources here. So the kingly office. Um, so, you know, we have our 
Um, school secretary, Heather, here with us, right? Um, we also have Rawl, who's our sacristan. And so all the people, all the people here in our organization know what office they fall into, and they work together. Remember the Great Commission. Go out, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Okay? So the kingly office is called to be stewards to make disciples. The priestly office is called to sanctify. And then the prophetic office is called to teach. And so they're all equal of importance. Um, sometimes people see it, the church only as a sacramental machine. Or sometimes they see the church only in the lens of the school. But together it all flows because we all have one mission. Now, your discernment comes in, where do you fit in? You know, what is, your, what is the mission that God's calling you to do here at St. Peter? And through that discernment, you'll get the opportunity here in about a month, on August 20th, 21st, we have our commitment weekend. Okay, what are, the, what are your talents that God has given you? And then you can choose to do whatever you've been doing before to keep on that, or maybe you've discerned, actually, through discernment, I have the gift of hospitality. I'd really like to be a part of, you know, the happy holy hour. Um, I have the gift of giving out mulligans, so I'm going to be on the men's golf league. <laughs> um, that's, all, that's all I have to, as far as, like, um, with the, the teaching. There's the reflection questions. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at those yet. So we see here the ascension, okay? The Lord goes to heaven. Let's think about this. Like the apostles, do we kind of want to restore things like they were? Lord, are you going to now restore Israel? We like, we like to see the, the, top, the splendor of Solomon's temple once again. Okay? We want to kick out these Romans. Are you going to restore Israel? There's a temptation for us to go back to what we call maintenance mode. Okay? Um, maintenance mode is like, well, we've always done it this way. Or we have to go back to the good old days. But God has placed us here at a particular time to have a particular mission to go from maintenance to apostolic mission. We are called to actually go out. Um, here's an interesting question. Number two, Jesus says, okay, you're going to go out in three different ways. So he prophesied, Jesus prophesied, the first wave, you got to go to Jerusalem first, and then you're going to go to the land of Judea and Samaria, and eventually you're going to go to the whole known world. By the, death, by the time of the death of the last apostle, the 12 apostles had went to the whole known world. Now, you might not have to go to Russia to proclaim <laughs> their conversion, but we must, we must first start closest to who's your who's your Jerusalem um, who's the ones closest to you um, who are you called to proclaim the good news to and then from there maybe it's someone then farther out like an acquaintance or a neighbor a co-worker and then finally uh, like the men of Galilee or third sorry 
Like the men of Galilee, why do we at times keep looking up and fail to get busy on our mission? You know, some people have the gift of, like, wander and contemplation. And, you know, it's like looking looking up at the stars, you know, uh, or they're looking up at the sky, the apostles. And the angel says, hey, men of Galilee, why do you keep looking up? Get busy. (laughs) So sometimes... Sometimes we could have our head up in the clouds, which is good to, when you want to come away for contemplation, but you also have to be like, okay, the Lord has given us hands and feet and that we actually have to go out and represent Christ into the world. And then finally, how has the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you to equip you for your mission? I mean, the Lord promised him when he ascended, I will send the Holy Spirit upon you. This is Pentecost, okay? How has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Through this series, this summer, how have you noticed the Holy Spirit working in your life? What are your gifts? What are the gifts you see in others? You can discern that. Maybe you can point that out in, in each other's lives and say, hey, you really have that gift. Come with me. Let's close in. I'll, I'll take questions too if you want. Let's close in a prayer for those who would like to stay. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord, send your Spirit so that we may be imbued with your love, that we may recognize that all good things come from you, especially those gifts that you wish for us to give back to you and to sanctify your children here on earth. We ask you, Lord, And all that we do, it may begin in you and come to completion in your kingdom. As you say the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And may the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you and remain with you forever. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Go in peace. Thank you.